fellow St. Lukers, and welcome to Your Week with St. Luke's, the podcast that connects you to scripture so that you can learn God's story as we explore our faith together as a church and community. This week, we are in the second week of our worship series called 24 and More. We're launching a new strategic vision for the next few years so that we as a congregation can focus our work in the ways that God is calling us as a community to awaken disciples and reveal the kingdom here in Orlando and beyond. Now, this week, we are talking about our first vision pillar of our 24 and More vision, More for Children and Youth. And we'll be centering ourselves around the text of Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. So we'll start by hearing the text from the Common English Bible. Israel, listen. Our God is the Lord, only the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, and all your strength. These words that I am commanding you today must always be on your minds. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting around your house and when you're out and about, when you're lying down and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hand as a sign. They should be on your forehead as a symbol. Write them on your house's door frames and on your city's gates. Now, as always, we want to begin looking at the text by considering the different contexts surrounding this text. The book of Deuteronomy uh, reiterates speeches as given by Moses to the second generation of Israelites, most of them born in the wilderness between Egypt and the promised land. We know, however, that the context surrounding the events recounted in a text and the context surrounding the actual writing of a text are two different things. So we're going to look at both of those. Because while the text describes events in the wilderness period, the text itself seems to have emerged somewhere around 900 BCE, during the reign of the kings in Israel and Judah. Now, during this time, the nation of Judah was facing a few challenges. One, that faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel, was being challenged by common cultural practice of worshiping fertility gods. In addition, there were economic and power shifts happening. Farmers were being exploited by wealthy moneylenders, sometimes resorting to selling themselves into slavery just in order to feed their families. Political power was being corrupted through bribes and preference for the wealthy. In summary, the gap was widening between the rich and the poor. Now, while we often see the commandments in the Hebrew scriptures as antiquated and legalistic, the Deuteronomic text actually sought to reform these injustices, reaffirming the first 10 commandments in Deuteronomy 5 and reminding the Israelite people that their allegiance was to God and to God alone. Love God with all your life, with all your being. This is what your identity is all about. It's not all of these other things. It's not economics. It's not politics. It's not, uh, it's not, not other gods, right? It is the one God. And it goes on to talk about how that kind of truth, that kind of identity, that kind of allegiance is passed from generation to generation. And all of this is set entirely in the wilderness wandering time. 
So let's zoom in on that context now. Now, many of the hearers of these words in the wilderness had not actually experienced the Exodus. They did not know a life of slavery in Egypt. They only knew a life of wilderness wandering and hoping for the coming promised land. And those who were reading the Deuteronomic text many generations later wouldn't have known that Exodus experience either. Except, except for the stories that had been told to them. You see, this is neither the first or only time this particular commandment to only have one God and to love God with your whole self is stated in scripture. It's not even the first or only time it's stated in this particular section of scripture. But this time, it comes with an additional instruction on what to do with it. Tell it to your children. Talk about it all the time. Plaster it everywhere. Why? Because you cannot forget who you are. And these stories are what shape the identity of who you are. Stories of the ancestors. Stories that explain the world and how you are to live in that world. Because the harshness of the wilderness is only a place you're glad to be if you know first the pain of slavery in Egypt. And to understand that comparison, the stories have to be told again and again, generation to generation. So when we merge these two contexts, we get a framework that emphasizes the singularity of God and singularity of devotion. This is the center of the monotheistic theology that is distinctive for the Israelite religion. Now, depending on what translation you use, the Hebrew word that is translated in the text we read above as only, um, in other texts it's translated as one or alone. The God of Israel is one. The God is God alone. Um, the, The point is that this is the only God. God is one. God is only God alone. There's some debate, and the translations show the variety of interpretations about what exactly um, the the writers were conveying here. Whether the emphasis was about God's nature, there is only one God, or about our devotion to this God. We know that there are many gods out there, but this is the one we are going to focus on. Now, we know that the historical reality is that in this era, there were many god figures that were being worshipped in the culture. Local gods, fertility gods, um, economic gods. Um, So either interpretation makes sense in that context. And in the end, it, it, it leads us to this same key idea, the singularity of God and the singularity required of us in our allegiance. Don't let anything else distract, deter, or derail you from the unique and close relationship with this God who has shown God's self to be faithful and redemptive and one who loves. But then the singularity of God branches into a plurality of actions that help accomplish this devotion. This passage repeats that singularity of identity, but then names multiple ways that help keep that identity at the forefront of faithful life. The directive of when and how to tell the story, um, although we could take it in a more literal sense and see it as a browbeating, domineering, overpowering kind of directive. Um, I can imagine someone talking incessantly and repeating the same stories over and over and over, not that any of us have that family member. But if we see what's going on in this directive to tell the story, 
when you lie down and when you rise, when you are walking around and when you're at home, put it on your forehead, uh, write it on the doorpost of your house and the gates of the city. Again, probably not a great idea to graffiti the welcome to Orlando sign. This passage when taken in its wholeness describes not necessarily a series of actions, but it's describing the wholeness of life. It's inviting the Israelites to ensure that telling God's story isn't reserved for the synagogue or the temple, but to allow God's story to be folded into the work of everyday life. That God's story is the undercurrent to your story, both the big moments, but also the mundane everyday actions of life folded into how we go about our day, how we treat one another, how we raise children, and how we shape culture. It's not about obnoxious sets of aggressive practices. It's about leading a life that represents God's story by the way it's lived in all the cracks and crevices of human life. Now, in the Jewish tradition, this text is known as the Shema. It's a text that would be repeated again and again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord alone. It became a confession of faith and recitation of it was a sign of personal devotion to God and acceptance of the responsibility given to them through the law now and in the future. It's traditionally recited both morning and evening during prayers. It often appears in the liturgy of high holy days. It's even tradition to make these the last words spoken before you pass. It's a simple, simple text that contains such deep and complex tradition and belief in the love of God for God's people. As one writer put it, Shema describes a wild love that revels in multiplicity, thrives on diversity, and takes all that it can to keep it going. So why is this the text for us that grounds our vision pillar to be more for children and youth? And why did I talk so little about children and youth in this lecture? Well, to hear the whole answer, you'll have to join us Sunday for worship. But in the meantime, let me give you a summary and a reminder of what we just talked about. What's going on here? We have a text in which the future generation of Israelites were dependent on the story being shared generation to generation. The only way they can make sense of their world is if they are given good stories in which to frame their current experience. And the best way to share those stories, the text says, is to allow them to be folded into our everyday living. So join us this Sunday as we explore what it means for us to carry on this tradition for our families, for our church, and for our community, so that we can ensure our future generations know the one God who loves them. See you Sunday.